Good evening, everyone. Welcome to tonight's podcast. William is the stream podcast. Nathan Spotlight, my spotlight for tonight, uh, as always. And before we begin the show, I wanted to dedicate tonight's episode to two people that we've lost uh, the past couple of weeks, uh, just coming into the new year, 2024. Number one uh, uh, that happened, uh, was announced today, uh, Aiden Canto, best known in TV audiences for his roles as the clean lady and designated survivor, has died at the age of 42 due to uh, apotensal cancer. So uh, he has passed away as well. And also, um, co-creator and co-head writer of Santa Barbara dies at 85. Bridget Dobson, uh, the co-creator of Santa Barbara and the daughter of the late General Hospital co-creators. Frank and Doris Hursley has died. She was 85 years old. Um, and uh, tonight we want to dedicate... Our podcast, this podcast, uh, the Spotlight podcast, to both of them. May they rest in peace, and our thoughts and prayers are with their loved ones, friends, colleagues, and those who have known them best. And with that, let the show begin. Thank you. 
and hello everyone welcome to tonight's episode of winning the stream podcast 411 podcast Nathan spotlight my spotlight your number one source for daytime primetime movies television the big screen you name it we cover it and tonight is our winter premiere for uh this the podcast tonight and also the spotlight and we have a a lot to get into tonight from top stories as always of course uh daytime uh, recaps on daytime spoilers and a whole lot of other things as well also a special movie review on the movie ferrari just that just came out and um you know a whole lot of stuff to go into so without any further ado let's get right into it with our top stories now for those of you that did not know um you know uh, last week or should i say two two uh, one or two weeks ago we went into, or I went into, a deep dive of the ongoing drama behind the scenes of The Color Purple and, you know, the actors and actresses from it. Also, you know, of course, Taraji uh, 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 P. Henderson, uh, Fantasia, you know, and many others uh, who were part of this as well. Especially those who were part of the first Color Purple on the big screen as well. And, yes, it involves none other than Oprah Winfrey, but we find out more about the twisted, deep friendship that she has with none other than Tyler Perry, plus the color purple PR crutches and how we got a cameo in this movie. So, without further ado, uh, we have Sherelle's World here that will give us more information on it as well. So, without any further ado, Sherelle, take it away. <laughs> I wanted to jump on here really quickly and talk about the latest controversy that surrounded the movie, the Color Purple musical, all the controversy that took place behind the scenes, the cover-up that Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey had to do, and of course, how Whoopi Goldberg mysteriously appears in this film when no one expected her to. And when I say no one, I'm not talking about the public, I'm talking about Oprah Winfrey herself. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to give you a background on both Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey and how their friendship has literally been terrorizing Hollywood. Now, we all know both Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey talk about being touched in their childhood. So as a as a little boy who was molested by three different men and a woman before you were 10 years old and didn't even know what sex was. Did it leave you confused? How could it not? And I was um, raped when I was nine. Not only was I raped by a cousin, I was raped by a cousin, and then later sexually molested by a friend of the family, and then by an uncle. It was just an ongoing, continuous thing. Now, a lot of people are saying that both of them have unhealed childhood trauma. Nevertheless, it doesn't take away for what went on in their adulthood and how both of them have been tied to some serious sex scandals. In 2010, the TV show called The Boondocks, in which a fictional character that went by the name Winston Jerome, who basically was Tyler Perry, and this character usually hid behind religion as he asked for sexual favors from some of the people that he worked with. Now, according to the producer of the show, he said they just didn't grab this storyline out of thin air. Actually, it was based on one of the actors that worked for him, and his name was Gary Anthony Williams. The episode, the idea of the episode came from 
one of our actors that was that was you know it was a part of the show um Gary Anthony Williams you know what I'm saying who plays Uncle Ruckus so he had auditioned for a Tyler Perry movie and so he was he was telling us about his experience and and so there were certain things that we took from the real story that he gave us and we put in the show and I think that might have made him feel a way because it was almost like he had a leak. The producer would go on to say that Tyler Perry was so mad he had the episode pulled and it hasn't been re-released since. And around the same time, rumors were swirling around very heavy that Tyler Perry was bisexual and preferred the company of men. And all of this was way before Kristen Keyes ever came forward, alleging that he too was a victim of Tyler Perry. Now, of course, Christian never mentions the name Tyler Perry. However, his story matches exactly to the episode of Boondocks. And, of course, it was highly publicized that Oprah Winfrey was hypersensitive about the Michael Jackson and Russell Simmons allegations. She let Michael's alleged victims come on. She also helped promote the documentary Leaving Neverland, and she even wanted to be a co-producer on a Russell Simmons documentary that never seen daylight because they said that the accuser's story, well, it just didn't make any sense. However, when it came to her good friend, Harvey Weinstein, well, it was a completely different story. She never really addressed the accusations except for one time, and this is what she said. Let's talk about what's happening with Harvey Weinstein. I know you posted on Facebook already, but you haven't kind of spoken yet publicly about what's going on. I think that this is I'm always trying to look for the rainbow in the cloud, the whatever is the silver lining. And this is what I do know for sure. When something this major happens, when you have the fallout, 50 women coming forward, that it's a watershed moment. Not only did she not mention Harvey's name, she didn't address the accusations about her. Many people in Hollywood accused her of knowing exactly what was going on with Harvey Weinstein. Not only that, they're saying that she introduced a lot of women to Harvey Weinstein, like Rita Ora and Naomi Campbell. The singer Seal, he actually came out publicly and said that Oprah knew what was going on and she definitely was a part of the problem. And actress Rose McGowan tweeted, I am glad more are seeing the ugly truth of Oprah. I wish she was real, but she isn't. From being pals with Weinstein to abandoning and destroying Russell Simmons' victims, she's about supporting a sick power structure for personal gain. She is as fake as they come. And of course, we all know about Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey and Lee Daniels getting Monique banned from Hollywood because she didn't want to work for free. I start getting calls from Lee Daniels, Tyler Perry, Oprah Winfrey, and Lionsgate. And they wanted me to come work for free. They to wanted what? to go over to Cannes and promote this film internationally. Uh -huh. And I said to them, I said, guys, my deal is with Lee Daniels, and I've done my job. Uh -huh. And they all agreed. Uh -huh. And this is what happens, in my humble opinion, when you don't go up to the hotel room. Uh -huh. Now, when I make the statement, this is what happens when you don't go to the room. Uh -huh. What Tyler Perry showed me, Lee Daniels, uh -huh. Oprah Winfrey, and Lionsgate. When you don't do what we ask you to do, yeah. we'll take your livelihood. Now, according to Monique, they had her blacklisted from Hollywood for 13 years. However, Oprah and Tyler Perry straight out denied that this ever happened. Lee Daniels was the only one that admitted to it. 
Lee Daniels reportedly warned Monique what can happen if she says no to Oprah, telling her it's not going to play out well for you. And before you knew it, the media started running stories about how Monique is a difficult person and hard to work with. Despite winning an Oscar, nobody wanted to hire her anymore, and Monique realized she was being blackballed by Oprah. Monique told The Hollywood Reporter that Lee Daniels admitted she was blackballed, and when she asked him, why have I been blackballed, Daniels responded, because you didn't play the game. But then Oprah did something even more diabolical. In her 2008 interview with Essence, Monique revealed that her older brother, Gerald, essayed her multiple times between the ages of 7 to 11. While she was preparing for her role in Precious, Monique shared her trauma with Oprah and revealed that her parents downplayed her essay. So when Oprah and Monique fell out after the release of Precious, Oprah decided to exploit and monetize Monique's story by inviting Gerald to her show. I did assault uh, inappropriately, touched my sister in manners that were not comfortable for her. And for that, I apologize. And I'm humbly sorry. Oprah first called Monique to try and convince her to appear on the show with Gerald. However, Monique refused and said that she doesn't care what her brother does, but she won't have any part in it. Because she said, do you want to come on? I said, I don't want nothing to do with that cat. I said, nigga, I know it's up to a scam, but people can change. And who am I to say he hasn't changed? It might really be different. So I don't want to get in the way of that. I just don't want nothing to do with it. She said, if you don't want me to have your brother on the show, I will cancel the show. Now I begin to see commercials with my brother, my mother, my father, and my other brother. Now the reason why that means so much is because in the conversation we had about my brother, we then went deeper. And we begin to talk about our relationships with our mothers and our fathers. And I shared my relationship with her about my mother. According to Monique, not only did Oprah lie to her and told her that she wouldn't have him on the show, she had him on the show, and they proceed to talk about all of the personal things that Monique ever told Oprah Winfrey. Now let's fast forward to the Color Purple musical cover-up. We all know that Taraji P. Henson went on Gail's show and actually admitted that she and other African-American women weren't getting paid the same as their white counterparts. And let me give you a quick example of what we're talking about. There was a predominant African-American actress that got paid $75,000 to start in a starting role in a movie, whereas her white counterpart, Meryl Streep, got $6 million. We're talking that kind of difference. And Taraji would go on to say that she even got underpaid for the Color Purple musical. And almost had to walk away from Color Purple. Yes, ma'am. Who said what? Yes, ma'am. Now to Oprah and Tyler Perry's surprise, when Taraji P. Henson revealed that Oprah did her wrong on the movie, the musical, The Color Purple, the public starts supporting Taraji and not Oprah. Then it came out that Oprah Winfrey and Whoopi Goldberg got into a huge argument on the set of The View when she was there to promote the movie, The Color Purple. Now, according to the rumors, Whoopi was furious because Oprah didn't ask her to be a part of the movie. 
So Oprah gets upset because she's being confronted by Whoopi. She tells Whoopi she's not going to deal with any negativity, and she actually leaves the studio. Now, let's not forget when all of this was going down, there were actually people in the studio that heard what happened. And I mean people like production assistants, PAs. There were people on the set that all watched this go down. However, when Oprah breaks the news of what's going on to her best friend, Tyler Perry, they go into crisis mode. According to the rumors, they hire a PR group that goes into covering up everything. So stories start changing around. It goes from Whoopi and Oprah got into a fight on the set of The View to Oprah was never there that day. She had scheduled another prior engagement. Even though the people that work at The View saw Oprah Winfrey get into it with Whoopi and Oprah leaves the studio. Then Taraji releases a statement saying that she's not upset with Oprah and it's very important that black women stick together. Or some people might say that she was forced to make that statement because she would be blacklisted just like they did Monique. Well, of course she did. Of course she did. She said, Taraji just put out a statement with a picture of her and Oprah debunking claims of a rift between them. But this doesn't surprise me at all. She has a career to think about. She has a family to take care of. She see what Oprah and Tyler Perry did to Monique alone. Even Monique is 10 toes down. She TTG. She like, fuck y'all. However, Taraji, she, she it, it, it's not about that right now. She's trying to take care of her family. It's clear that money is an issue. Then Oprah released a statement on her IG about how much she loves and respects Taraji. And for some strange reason, she disabled all of the comments. And then all these articles start coming out about just how wonderful the cast was getting along. Now, we all know from what happened to Monique that Tyler and Oprah will plant stories to the media. And at this point, it looked like all of their bases were covered because by this point, Oprah and Tyler are a pro at dealing with the media, planning cover-ups, etc., etc. However, there's one thing that happened that they couldn't undo. When the director of the movie, his name is Blitz Bazaul, when he found out that Whoopi Goldberg wasn't going to have anything to do with the movie and how she got bamboozled by Oprah Winfrey, he decided on his own to give Whoopi Goldberg a cameo in the movie. By contract, he doesn't have to get an okay to hire extras. So that's what he did. He gave Whoopi a cameo in the movie. However, he did not tell anyone, absolutely no one. Only the actors that were involved during the take knew what was going on. And according to the rumors, he didn't even tell Oprah Winfrey or none of the producers. So when the movie came out, Oprah was just as shocked as everyone else. But now, after a couple days, her PR team is at it again. Now she's saying that they kept it a secret from the public because they wanted to wow the audience and how glad she is that Whoopi appeared in the film. Then she goes on to say how she didn't want a cameo in the film. And she's saying this, in my opinion, because she doesn't want to look bad to the public. You had no idea that Whoopi Goldberg had a cameo in the movie? 
And as expected, she had to put a spin on the story. Oprah has reacted to Whoopi Goldberg's cameo in the new Color Purple movie. In case you didn't know, Whoopi made a surprise cameo in the movie that was heavily kept under wraps. This was one of the most viral moments of the movie as fast as we're really happy to see Whoopi return to be a part of this. Early on in the film, Whoopi Goldberg, who was Oscar nominated for her role as Celie in the original, is cast as a midwife who helps young Celie give birth to her second child. The role is brief but has delighted audiences in previews. Oprah spoke about Whoopi's cameo in the movie in a new interview with The Hollywood Reporter. In Oprah's interview, she said, We just thought it was a wonderful Easter egg for audiences who have appreciated the film over the years, for the diehards, and we also thought it was a lovely homage to Whoopi. Actually, I thought about being in it. It would have been good in the church scene, but I thought it would also be distracting when Sophia is getting married that if the old original Sophia was just one of the people in the church, and then they were shooting that in the middle of Georgia when COVID was spreading, and I was like, okay, well, I ain't sitting in that church all day anyway. And also, I just think it's more special that it's just Whoopi. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, it was a fabulous film. The women gave Oscar-winning performances, and they did it all being underpaid. So let's all just hope that one day the women get recognized for their brilliant performances. And I support the movie. Go watch the movie. As far as Oprah Winfrey, we got to talk about her down in the comment section. And her bestie, Tyler Perry. Are their cover-ups extreme, or is this how... It businesses in Hollywood. Let me know your thoughts in the comment section. And that was Sherelle's World with the latest on Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey's Twisted Friendship, The Color Purple PR Crisis, and how uh, you know Whoopi Goldberg had a camera in the movie, which was very surprising to me. I didn't even know that. Until I found out from this uh, video that we just heard from Sherelle herself. But it's really sad of how I think people, you know, used to look up to pe people like, you know, Whoop, Whoop, uh, not Whoopi, but Oprah, Tara Perry. And, you know, how people highly thought of them at one point when they were at the top of their careers. And though, you know, for Oprah, she had been questionable, questionable for a very long time. And, you know, I think people used to respect Oprah, but I don't think there's any more respect between between either her or Tyler Perry. I think that there's just disappointment all around because people like Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry have this power and control over certain people where, uh, you know, where there's plenty of people out there who are willing to oblige to their request and, you know, I just feel it's not necessary to try and force someone and dangle their career over their heads if they don't do this or don't do that. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about power and control. And they're doing what, what was done to them when they felt powerless in a way, and that's not good at all. And for Todd Perry, I mean, this is somebody who has a reputation when it comes to, <clears throat> you know, his accomplishments and to his... And what he's done, there's nothing wrong with what he's been able to accomplish. It's just how he does it when it comes to his movies and how, you know, the characterizations of black people, you know, um, negative ones, to be to be uh, to be you know clear, where you know black people are seeing those movies as violent, uncontrollable. They can't control themselves. They're lazy. They don't want to read, write, do anything. 
and to me that does not it's not a very good um you know depiction on black people because not everyone is like that you know luckily for those you know they had to struggle and go through a lot in order to get where they are right now and you know, for Todd Perry, I have not been in his shoes. I have not experienced what he went through. But to me, just because you went through what happened does not mean you get to have that kind of power over someone and use it in your own, uh, you know, in your in your own way, whether for good or bad, for the better or worse. So, um, but I am glad that Whoopi Goldberg did get a cameo in this movie. I do feel that it was a surprise. I didn't really expect it myself in the color purple. But uh, she got her cameo in there, so I guess, you know, they deserve a little bit. Oprah and her PR team deserves a little bit of credit, but at the same time, I feel like a little it's a little bit too late for that. Um, you know, so there you go. Um, also, by the way, uh, Tarjuri P. Henson uh, criticized Clara Purple Production for making cast drive themselves to set in rental cars. Uh and now, me and Willie, we both love uh, Taraji, but we both feel that she's pushing it too much and pushing, you know, her disappointment and, you know, her criticism and criticizing others. Even when, even say, you know, why she would take the job if, she, if it was really that bad, she said, you know, uh, because, you know, and look, we loved uh, uh, Taraji. But to be honest, she should have never took the job in the first place. You know, and I do feel, we feel that, you know, the fame is getting to her head a little bit. You know, some of the cast even didn't want a limo. So, you know, there you go there. And so, uh, you know, me, Willie, we hope that everyone can be able to heal and move forward in a different and positive light. Up next in our top story... For those of you that remember, uh, Damon Wilson, he used to be part of the huge hit TV show back in the um, 70s called Sanford and Son. And he and uh, Damon played Lamont, uh, you know, Red Fox's on-screen son. And as of lately, you know, um, as of lately two weeks ago on Comedy Hype, he had an interview with one of the um, with one of the uh, the people of Comedy Hype. And he pretty much, you know, called out the late, great Norman Lear, who just passed away a couple months back, and accused him of stealing show ideas. So here is this clip from the interview from Comedy Hype um, as well. And uh, this is John, A John Abbott from Comedy Hype speaking to him and uh, asking if there was any truth to producer Norman Lear stealing past show ideas. So... Here we go. This is from Comedy Hype. I have to ask my last question. It goes back to the Norman Lear thing. Our audience is going to be mad if I don't. Do you think Norman, did Norman take some of those ideas, particularly from Eric Monty? Of course he did. Yeah. You think that brother is just making that up? And the late uh, Michael Evans that played the first Michael under Jefferson's. He beat him out of good times. Did it like... Did you find out about these things while you were working with him that he was, you know, moving a certain way? I never worked with Norman. Oh, that's right. He was teamed up with Bud York and who was yeah, executive yeah. producer. Broke up. Productions. Norman came around a few times. I liked his first wife, Frances, who's deceased now. She was very honest. She said Norman should be ashamed of himself 
He's wow. cut everybody out of everything and make people think he was he was the only one doing anything. And he he had about as much to do with Sanford and Son as my grandmother, who just who who transitioned in 1969. Other than the fact that because when he parted ways with uh, Yorkin, we never saw him again. And then Jerry Parencio took the helm. Jerry Parencio was the guy that went to Jack Kent Cook and got a few million dollars to promote the first Ali Frazier fight at the at Madison Square Garden. Jerry Parencio owned or still owns Telemundo. And then Alan Horn took the helm. Alan Horn became the CEO of Metro Goldwyn Mayer Studio. These were heavy hitters. These were guys that I went in there and said, hey, if you don't pay me, I ain't coming back here. And they said, we'll see about that with your little cocky self. That's when I went to Vegas. You always got to have a plan B, brother. Mm. Always. My father said it's a poor rat that only got one hole to crawl in. You know, it'd be great to learn more about the... I don't want... You got me thinking I shouldn't call it Hollywood no more. Learn more about the business. Learn more about business and life. That's what I'm about. Show business. It's a business. For me, that's what it was, a business. I never went to the parties. I didn't belong there. I didn't belong there. I was I was not part of that group. I wasn't a bend over Billy. And there you go. That was Demon uh, Wilson on Norman Lear Senior Shore Ideas. And he said, of course he did. This was from Comedy Hype and... Uh, mind-blowing accusations from Damon Wilson, and it's a shame that Norman Lear is not here anymore to uh, defend or clear his name on this, but someone else that I think Norman Lear knows very well, I think Damon Wilson knows very well too, when they were on uh, Sanford's Son, was Eric Monty. Eric Monty was a uh, American screenwriter and TV series creator, and, you know, he's known for uh, his work in depicting of the 1970s African-American culture. He wrote and created several sitcoms for TV such as Good Times, The Jeffersons, What's Happening, as well as, you know, spinoffs like What's Happening Now, uh, you know, the coming-of-age film Cooley High, which Monty wrote, which was based on his high school experiences. And he never really got a lot of credit uh, for that. And so... You know, and so when I hear this about Norman Lear, and remember, this has been rumored and this has been rumored for so many years about Norman Lear, and I think it really uh, gives a different look at the guy, at Norman Lear, because yes, he may have been the producer and creator of all these shows, but at the same time, if you're taking ideas, stealing show ideas from other people, if you're not giving credit to them, uh, then, you know, what's the point in the first place of, you know, doing, you know, creating these shows then and, you know, trying to produce your own spit on it as well. I just think it's, it just shows that there are people who, there are those who take advantage of them, advantage of others. And it looks as if, unfortunately, Norman Lear did take, you know, show ideas from others that he worked with uh, in the past, even on set too. And so for Debod Wilson, you know, he deserves a lot of credit and respect because I don't think he gets any of it due to, you know, him not being a quote-unquote puppet for Hollywood. He understood the, the ups and downs and the high and lows of the business in Hollywood and in TV as a whole 
So, uh, Devon Wilson deserves a lot of credit. We want to give a shout out to him. Uh, if you guys want to check out the rest of the interview, go to Comedy Hype on YouTube and check out the entire interview where he talks about his career. Uh, Norman Lear 2, also, what was it, what was it like working with Red Fox, the late great Red Fox, and other things as well. So, uh, we want to wish Devon Wilson the very best uh, moving forward. Now, next up in our top story. I got to say, guys, this is not surprising when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, this is not surprising when it comes to certain people of power who basically can do whatever they want and have no coincidence, so to speak. Um, so this person, uh, he is the owner of the Carolina Panthers in sports for our top story, one of our top stories, who threw a drink at Jaguars fan after a disastrous loss eight days ago. Uh, and one of the last games of the last, uh, one of the last games of the season, for the NFL season that is. And so with that, here's Sports Wars, uh, Ryan Kittle with more. It's been a bad year for the Carolina Panthers, especially when you consider that the team with the worst record in the league has already traded that number one pick to the Chicago Bears in order to get their current quarterback, Bryce Young, who has not exactly looked promising. And between the bad play on the field, firing another head coach, it doesn't look like things are going to turn around anytime soon. And it just got a whole lot worse for Panthers owner David Tepper because of something he did off the field. Look, Panthers owner David Tepper appears to throw drink at Jaguars fan during Carolina's 26-0 shutout loss. This video went viral yesterday after the game. Again, a 26-0 loss to the Jaguars who had their backup quarterback in. The Panthers look completely miserable. And you can see here, there seems to be an altercation between some Jaguars fans and Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper. We're going to show you this. No audio. But there's clearly some back and forth with fans, stuff like that. And there, right there, you see a hand come out and throw what's left of his drink onto Jags fans who are standing there, probably taunting him, probably talking a little bit of shit, whatever. This Jags fan right there, this is absolute bullshit. I'll watch it one more time. You can see him throw what's left of his drink at a Jaguars fan while sitting there in the box. Now, the NFL has basically, they've said, hey, we've seen this happen and we're looking into it. NFL issued statement of video of Panthers owner allegedly throwing drink at fan. They said, we're aware of the situation, we're looking into it. The Panthers declined to comment in any way, but certainly not a good look for the owner of a football team to be throwing drinks on people from the opposing fan base. Completely and totally pathetic, and you're seeing some reactions. I'm sure David Tepper with his mountain of money will be able to hire a qualified coach, but if I were a coach with options, I wouldn't choose the Panthers. Doesn't look like a good situation or a good owner to me. If David Tepper's doing this in public settings, imagine how he treats people behind closed doors. David Tepper paid $40, millions to the ex, or $40 million to the ex-wife of his former boss for his Hamptons house and tore it down to build a mansion twice as big. He also once said when a waiter is rude to him, he thinks, I could just buy this place and fire that guy. This behavior isn't new. And again, I don't know how much that necessarily has to do with this specific situation, but there has to be some sort of punishment here. Uh, if, if a player or something like that, you know, took something and threw it on a fan in the stands, people would be irate, people would be demanding punishment. The same thing needs to happen for an owner. I get it. 
You're probably spending a lot of fucking money. You're also probably making a lot of fucking money, too. And your team is miserable. And you embarrassingly traded up to get Bryce Young and gave up your first overall pick to the Chicago Bears this year. Very fucking sad. Very pathetic. But it doesn't give you the right to throw drinks on other fans. That's bullshit. This dude's the richest guy in the fucking building, and he's acting like a bitch throwing his drink on somebody. If they're talking a little bit of shit, whatever. Like, you, you just got to deal with it. Your team sucks. You shouldn't be throwing drinks on people. Let me know your thoughts about all this in the comments section below. Smash a like button, subscribe to the channel, ring the bell for notifications, share this video out there, and I'll talk to you later. And that was Ron Kennel uh, from Sports Wars talking about this crazy story about uh, Carolina Panther owner David Temper throwing a drink at Jaguar fans after another disastrous loss. And here's the thing. Uh, you know, whatever happens with your team, your football team, baseball team, soccer, basketball, you name it. If they're losing, that sucks. But you want to know what else sucks? You as an owner deciding that it'd be better to, you know, throw something onto a fan, a fan of the opposite team, not even a fan of your own team. And when you basically can't take it anymore, you don't like what the person is saying to you. You know, it's just stuff like that just shows that people like David Teppers does not deserve to own a team anymore and does not even deserve to have anything anymore. Um, and thankfully, you know, the Carolina Panthers have fired... Uh, the general manager, no, no, wait, yeah, they have fired uh, Panthers GM Scott uh, Scott Fitter, and uh, also, um, but nothing on David Temper. So it looks as if he is staying for the time being, and that's not a good look. So um, I, I know the NFL is probably going to look into the incident, but. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if nothing happens to him and he probably gets fined or whatever for his actions. It's pretty pathetic from him, but again, what what do you expect from someone like David Temper who expressed again with everything as well uh, for his actions? Uh, but again, guys, you know, and let me just say this. You know, he should be glad that the situation did not, did not go from that to a possible uh, fight between him and the uh, fans of the Jaguars that he spilled the drink on. If there was no security guard or whoever else there, then, um, <clears throat> you know, I, you know, it would have been worse. It would have gotten worse, and eventually I think the NFL would have, you know, uh, forced David Tebris to resign. But, you know, uh, it's unfortunate. Hopefully something like that never happens again, no matter what team... Uh, is your favorite when it comes to the owner and the general manager and the front office. All right, moving forward, uh, you know, uh, and we're going to stick with sports for one more uh, top story, but this was announced, this was announced, you know, a couple, uh, no, not announced, but this took place six days ago where uh, Jimmy Kimmel had a meltdown over what Aaron Rodgers said and threatened to sue him over the Epstein list. Now, it's not what you really think about it at first, but at the same time, if you listen to what uh, what was said, then you would get a better understanding. So here again is Ryan Kennel from Sports Wars explaining the entire information, and um, you know this is also from another video 
as well from Sports Source as well that, that um, as Aaron Rodgers responding to uh, Pat McAfee's show after Jimmy Kimmel threatened to sue Aaron Rodgers. So here we go. It's funny how athletes can go from media darling to public enemy number one in a very short time frame, whether it's because of their play on the field or something that happens off the field. And that's exactly what we saw with Aaron Rodgers, somebody who for over a decade seemed to be loved by so many people in the mainstream media until he started speaking out about fake news, until he started speaking out about certain things that were happening, certain injections that were seemingly being forced upon nearly everyone in the country at the time. That turned Aaron Rodgers into public enemy number one for the press and to everybody in the mainstream media, including late night hosts, late night hosts whose jobs are to push propaganda, whether it's propaganda about a certain politician they don't like and the mainstream media doesn't like, or whether it's propaganda about something that was going on, I don't know, 2020, 2021, and certain injections that were going around. And it's funny how any insult against Aaron Rodgers from these people is supposed to be perfectly fine and acceptable, including by some of these late night hosts like Jimmy Kimmel. But as soon as Aaron Rodgers makes a joke about them, they have an absolute fucking meltdown. And that's exactly what happened with Jimmy Kimmel today. Jimmy Kimmel has been triggered by Aaron Rodgers and went on a tirade on Twitter where he's threatening him with a lawsuit if he doesn't stop making jokes about him. How pathetic. Jimmy Kimmel a so-called comedian who has not been funny in two decades, is threatening legal action against Aaron Rodgers for defamation after Aaron Rodgers jokingly says, I don't know, maybe his name will be on the Epstein flight logs. Look at this shit. Jimmy Kimmel threatens to sue Aaron Rodgers after quarterback links him to Jeffrey Epstein. Your reckless words put my family in danger, Kimmel wrote, calling the athlete an asshole and a soft-brained wacko. And we're going to get to this entire response here. Of course, it had to happen on the Pat McAfee show. You know it was going to take place on the Pat McAfee show. Let's listen to what Aaron Rodgers said in his recent appearance. Uh-huh. Bring it up. Bring it up, Foxy or somebody back Seats here. on it. We have Super Bowl 58. You'll see it. The emblem. Put it on the screen. And then bring it 57 and 56. Now, this is he's they're having a conversation about a conspiracy about the NFL being rigged and stuff like that. That's what they're talking about here. This has something to do with the Epstein list that came out. <laughs> Feels like, <laughs> Feels like. That's supposed to be coming out soon. That's supposed to be coming out soon. Look, this guy's been it's waiting in his wine people. cellar. Yeah. I've been waiting in my wine <laughs> cellar for this thing. A lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't. Ah, <laughs> All right. All right. I'll- A lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't come out. We'll get back to why he said that in just one second. Obviously, a clip from this particular program was run on Jimmy Kimmel's show uh, whenever Aaron brought up the the list and then Jimmy mocked him for it. Mm -hmm. Aaron has not forgotten about that, but here we are sitting right in front of that nice bottle of scotch. Mm -hmm. What do you say? I'm waiting to celebrate something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's been waiting for that. I'll tell you what. If that list comes out, I definitely will be popping Popping some sort of bottle. Hey, we've been calling for it for a few years now. Anyone else notice this? Oh. Yeah, and then they get back to this. They get back to the, you know, what it looks like here, the 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 Super Bowl things. Oh, look, the NFL knows who's going to make it already. But that's all that was said about Jimmy Kimmel, right? That Jimmy Kimmel really doesn't want it to come out. Do you know why? Do you know why Aaron Rodgers said that? Maybe, Jimmy Kimmel, it's because before Aaron Rodgers said anything about you, you were the one that was talking shit about Aaron Rodgers multiple times, but this is the one in question. 
Jimmy Kimmel claims Aaron Rodgers is a tinfoil hatter for wanting to know the names on the Jeffrey Epstein client list. This is from back in March. Needless to say, all this UFO talk has the tinfoil hatters going wild, including Green Bay whack packer Aaron Rodgers, who offered this hot take on the Pat McAfee show. I, I believe that this has been going on for a long time. Interesting uh, timing on everything. There's a lot of other things going on in the world. Did you hear about the Epstein client list uh, about to be released, too? What's that? What are you talking about? There's some files that are, have some names on it that might be uh, getting released pretty soon. Oh. Oh. <laughs> might be time to revisit that concussion protocol, Aaron. That, that, that was the joke he made. Right. So then Aaron Rodgers, said, oh, a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, I guess, don't want that to come out. Right. Just a little jab, just a fucking joke. And Jimmy Kimmel goes off the deep end. Oh, by the way, David Bakhtiari, former Aaron Rodgers teammate. Tell me you're on the client list without telling me you're on the client list. He's the one that took a big shot at Jimmy Kimmel there. But look at Jimmy Kimmel's response. Dear Aaron, like double A for Aaron, dear asshole, for the record, I've not met, flown with, visited, or had any contact whatsoever with Epstein, nor will you find my name on any list other than the clearly phony nonsense that soft-brained wackos like yourself can't seem to distinguish from reality. Your reckless words put my family in danger. Keep it up, and we'll debate the facts further in court at Aaron Rodgers. Jimmy Kimmel is a woke lunatic and a massive fucking bitch-ass pussy. That's who Jimmy Kimmel is at this point. If you listen, Aaron Rodgers didn't even say you were on the list. Aaron Rodgers said you don't want the list to come out after clearly, you know, making fun of Aaron Rodgers for thinking that the list even exists in the first place. That's what the joke is about. You put my family in danger. How many people have you put in danger by some of the propaganda you've pushed on your show? How many times are you taking shots at people or spread specifically misinformation about different people, whether that's Trump, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, whoever it may be? How many people have you endangered with your dog shit jokes, Jimmy Kimmel? For a comedian to have a meltdown, an actual meltdown and threaten to sue Aaron Rodgers over not even saying he was on the list? I don't know, Jimmy. Seems like you are pretty sensitive. Putting out this legal statement about never flying with blah, blah, blah. Seems like you're a little bit worried, Jimmy. People are going to take this reaction and think, huh, I wonder why he's so sensitive about it. Jimmy Kimmel, a total meltdown, and threatens to sue Aaron Rodgers over the Epstein flight logs. Very, very strange. Let me know your thoughts in the comments section below. Smash a like button, subscribe to the channel, ring the bell for notifications, share this video out there, and I'll talk to you later. And with that, we have Aaron Rodgers' response to Jimmy Kimmel uh, on the Pat McAfee show, and... Uh, when you listen to what Aaron Rodgers has to say, I think everyone will be understandable about where he's coming from and what was actually said. So, again, here is Ryan Kennel from Sports Wars on the matter. Aaron Rodgers is certainly no stranger to controversy, especially for his appearance on the Pat McAfee show. But last week, when he made a joke about Jimmy Kimmel being nervous about the Epstein list releasing because Jimmy Kimmel had insinuated that Aaron Rodgers was insane back in 2022 for even thinking a list could exist. 
all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers once again found himself the target of the woke sports media establishment. So-called journalists everywhere trying to convince everyone that Aaron Rodgers made an allegation specifically about Jimmy Kimmel being on a plane or going to an island, when in fact that wasn't what Aaron Rodgers says. It wasn't even the joke he made. That's just more mainstream sports media people lying. Jimmy Kimmel had a meltdown over a joke. A former comedian, shockingly, had a meltdown over Aaron Rodgers' joke, and he threatened to sue him if he didn't stop talking about him. And then last night on Jimmy Kimmel Live, him and his team of writers that he desperately needs now that they're not on strike anymore, decided to respond over a seven-minute period, once again insulting Aaron Rodgers' intelligence and making claims that Aaron Rodgers never actually made. We'll listen to a little bit of it. For me, uh, I, 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 did you hear this story about me and Aaron Rodgers, the former quarterback for the Packers? All right, so... Uh, what happened is he's a Jets quarterback now. He went on a show on ESPN, the Pat McAfee show, and out of the blue insinuated that I was nervous because the Jeffrey Epstein list was coming out. He said I was hoping it wouldn't and that he was going to pop a bottle of something to celebrate when he did. And then it did come out. And, of course, my name wasn't on it and isn't on it. And now let's, let's clear that up. The Epstein list is not out. Not even close to being out. The one little thing that came out was basically a nothing burger. There are way more lists or way more people that are still on that list. Eventually, hopefully we find it. I have my doubts if it will ever actually be released to the public. Uh, but uh, what Aaron Rodgers said specifically was that there are some people that are hoping it doesn't come out because he, Jimmy Kimmel, a year and a half ago, 18 months ago, basically, made it seem like Aaron Rodgers was an insane fucking nut job for thinking a list existed, period. Now he's claiming not to be on said list. It's weird how that works, isn't it? Well, Aaron Rodgers is live right now on the Pat McAfee show, and in the beginning he addressed this entire situation. It's pretty long-winded. We're going to watch it one and a half speed uh, just to try to get through it a little bit quicker. But I wanted you to hear Aaron Rodgers' response on Pat McAfee's show directly towards Jimmy Kimmel. Looking at anything. Listen, I think we should just get into it though, just so we can have the uh, the woke establishment who's just tuned in from uh, you know this this part. Let's just get this uh, out of the way first, and they can move on with the rest of the day, and we can all move past this. Um, it's been an interesting week for sure. Very interesting week. A lot of uh, things have been said. A lot of people have been taking shots at me without uh, mentioning their vac status first, which I thought we established with Ryan Fitzpatrick. That was how we're going to do things moving forward. We haven't done that obviously. So Nick Wright, Nick Wright, yep, Nick Wright, I heard Nick Wright. Yeah. Listen, joke aside, I'd really like to get into this, and then just let's just move on. So. The history of this, before I get into what I said, what I actually said, and how I feel about uh, all that, the history of this, whatever this is between Jimmy and I, this goes back to COVID times, right? And in COVID times, he mentioned on his show uh, jokes about my uh, immunization, which I know you, you also made a little joke about it. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into that whole thing. That's, I've talked many times about that, but I made a joke about that, uh, you know, uh, and the fact that, you know, my own research. He didn't just stop there, though. You know, he, he, he made a lot of other comments about uh, unvaccinated people. Uh, mentioning that they don't deserve treatment. Uh, if they're at a hospital, uh, they shouldn't be given a hospital bed. Uh, he made comments about uh, repurposed drugs that were being used all over the world that have incredible safety profiles um, that, uh, that were derogatory. Uh, he uh, you know, mentioned uh, ivermectin being horse-based and pushed that whole narrative for a long time. He gave a platform to one of the biggest uh, spreaders of misinformation during the COVID times, Dr. Fauci. Um, and this is, this is coming back to when Aaron Rodgers became a target of whether it's late night comedians, woke media, all these people. It's when he did voice his questions about the jab and about everything that was going on during COVID. That's when he turned from media darling to public enemy number one. And Jimmy Kimmel made numerous jokes at his expense, insulted him a shit ton. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's a fucking comedian, right? 
but it's when there's one joke against him that he has an absolute meltdown and threatens to sue. That's when he becomes a bitch-made little fucking piece of shit. And that's what Jimmy Kimmel and the woke media has done this entire week is paint Aaron Rodgers into saying something he didn't actually say. So in my opinion, Jeez. you know, he ripped me about ripped me about the vax. And, and that turns out to be an L on, on many occasions because the vaccine was not safe and effective like we were told that it was in the beginning. Uh, there are a lot of injuries now that we've seen related to the vaccine. So in my opinion, you went after me. That's fine. You're a comedian. Go for it. Not offended. But that was an L. Fast forward to, uh, again, unprompted. We're talking on our show as we do about a lot of different topics. Somehow the Epstein client list comes up. And I said it's interesting. And there were for a long time. Even still, there hasn't been a list that's been released. There's been one person's, uh, you know, uh, deposition from a 2015 case, right? But we said there's an, there's an excitement to expose corruption. And what I joked about the other day about popping a bottle, there's excitement about when the corruption anywhere gets exposed and people who are accused of these heinous crimes get exposed, that will be nice, that we can get this all out in the open. That's not there. So I made this comment on the show whenever that was last year, right, I believe. And unprompted, he comes out and says that I'm an overly concussed wacko. In my opinion, it seemed like because I believe that there was a list and that there were names on that. Now, what he's talking about is a clip from, I think, March of 2022. That's when a lot of this shit really started to boil over. That's when Jimmy Kimmel made it seem like Aaron Rodgers was an insane person, was a nut job, was a wacko, simply for thinking a list existed. That is why Aaron Rodgers then made a joke saying, well, he's not he's not very excited about uh, an Epstein list coming out because it's going to make him look like a fucking moron. Right. So, you know, then we, we fast forward to this last week. Right. And I said that. A lot of people, and I'm quoting myself here, a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't come out. End quote. That's what I said. That's the entire quote. Okay? I was referring to the fact that if there is a list, which, again, this hasn't come out yet. This was just a deposition, right? And there are names on it. Then that would be the second time that a soft brain, junior college student, you know, wacko, anti-vax, anti-Semite, purveyor, spreader of misinformation, conspiracy theorist, MAGA, whatever other things have been said by him and other people in the media would be right twice. Now, let me just say that that, that is the truth, number one. Number two, I totally understand how serious an allegation of pedophilia would be. So for him to be upset about that, I get it. Did you watch the quote? Because that's exactly what I said. Verbatim what I said on the show. Okay? I'm not stupid enough, even though you think I'm an idiot, and you made a lot of comments about my intelligence, but I'm not stupid enough to accuse you of that with absolutely zero evidence, uh, concrete evidence. It's just ridiculous. So I'm glad, and I think we can agree on something, is that uh, one, those crimes are heinous, and two, I'm, I'm glad you're on the list because those those who are on the list, and this is what I think we can agree on, that at minimum there should be an inquiry into uh, their involvement, especially if they went to the island, and at maximum there should be uh, an investigation into it. So I hope that you'll give the same type of energy to these heinous crimes when they do come out and the names do come out and, and there is an inquiry into it that you gave to uh, other subjects that I actually mentioned uh, that you spent a lot of time working on. So I'd like to put this uh, to bed to move forward. I don't understand. to do so that's pretty much the primary portion. He goes on and talks about people in the media or other people that try to take his words out of context, that spun everything, blaming the woke media, things like this. Uh, but obviously the show's still going on. We're about 10 minutes behind. They've got over 100,000 people watching as we speak. So I'm sure there's going to be even potentially more clips than just this. But I wanted to talk about that first response to Jimmy Kimmel's meltdown. And Aaron Rodgers basically forced to clarify his joke. Because so many people, this is what they do. The media lies to people, right? That's exactly what happened in this case. 
his joke about Jimmy Kimmel being nervous about the list being released because it was going to make him look like a moron for shitting on Aaron Rodgers a year and a half prior. That got spun into Jimmy Kimmel making himself the victim, acting like Aaron Rodgers accused him live on ESPN of going to the island. Somehow, I don't think that even though he's trying to put it to bed, I don't think this is going to be the last we hear about this, but we shall see. What do you guys think about this? Let me know in the comments section below. Smash a like button, subscribe to the channel, ring the bell for notifications, share this video out there, and I'll talk to you later. And that's not all. Uh, for those of you that didn't know, Pat McAfee had <clears throat> Pat McAfee, uh, you know, uh, pretty much was forced to apologize on ESPN after the Jimmy Kimmel meltdown over Aaron Rodgers' Epstein joke, and here he is with the apology. This is from Sports Wars by Ryan Kennel. We're going to have to hear from Aaron on that meant-to-be-shit-talk joke that can then become something that is obviously a very serious allegation mm -hmm. that then leads to a massive overnight story, uh, one in which, well, put baby down, sleep, haven't seen her in a while, and then yeah. I pick up my phone. Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. But I can see exactly why Jimmy Kimmel felt the way he felt, especially with his position. But I think Aaron was just trying to talk shit. Now, did it go too far? Uh, and a lot of people, uh, Jimmy Kimmel certainly said that was the yeah. case. I think what happened are media members, people in the media started gaslighting everybody and say Aaron Rodgers said that he was on Epstein's list. When again, if you know the history, if you know what I just showed you, that this all started when Aaron Rodgers made a comment about the list and Jimmy Kimmel insinuated he was stupid or needed to be in concussion protocol for even believing there was a list. And now Jimmy Kimmel's being forced to deny that he was ever on any list. It's funny how that works, how the, the goalposts have shifted a little bit from that unfunny bitch. We and I immediately upon it happening, trying to be like, ooh, you know, but that is Aaron and Jimmy. They've been uh, jousting a bit. I don't know, you know. So, like, we obviously don't like the fact that we're associated with anything negative ever. We like our show to be an uplifting one, a happy one, a fun one. But it's because we talk shit and try to make light of everything. Mm -hmm. Some things, obviously, people get very pissed off about, especially when they're that serious allegations. So we apologize for being a part of it. Can't wait to hear what Aaron has to say about it. Hopefully those two will just be able to settle this. You know, yeah. not court-wise, but be able to chit-chat, move along. Because remember, you're allowed to disagree with people's opinions. You're allowed to say, like, oh, I don't... And that's pretty much all I really wanted to see out of it. I saw some people saying, wow, it got so serious that ESPN made Pat McAfee put on sleeves, uh, which you don't often see him in anything long sleeve. That's certainly the case. But interesting that after a Disney employee gets upset about something that happens on another Disney show, um, we see an apology from that other Disney show. Clearly, they don't want to be a part of this lawsuit at all. Take that for what you will. Um, I, I don't think there's anything to apologize for. It was a joke, and, and there, there's nothing wrong with it because Jimmy Kimmel's the one that started it. But unfortunately, so many small-brained retards are being gaslit by people in the mainstream woke sports media into believing that Aaron Rodgers made a declarative statement about Jimmy Kimmel going to Epstein's Island or whatever it may be. Uh, who, who knows? when the, the list didn't even really come out, right? The list that came out is just like one person. There's so much more stuff about this. I think a lot of people thought this drop was going be bigger than it actually was but whatever uh, the reality is it was all about the shot that jimmy kimmel took at Aaron rogers 
almost two years ago. David Bakhtiari certainly had things to say about what he felt Jimmy Kimmel was or where he felt Jimmy Kimmel went, but Aaron Rodgers didn't say those things. What do you guys think about this? What do you think about Pat McAfee being forced to apologize by ESPN? Let me know in the comments section below. Smash a like button, subscribe to the channel, ring the bell for notifications, share this video out there, and I'll talk to you later. And that was, again, Ryan Kennel from Sports Wars basically breaking down this entire situation. And, you know, it's pretty obvious that, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers was, quote-unquote, joking around. But, of course, I think when it comes to something as sensitive as the Epstein list, you know, I think it's not a joking matter in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, again, Aaron Rodgers can, you know, do and say whatever he wants. But, of course... Jimmy Kimmel, on the other hand, I don't think he should have said anything either. He should have just, you know, spoke to Aaron Rodgers privately about it and, you know, squash and move on, you know, like Pat McAfee suggested or, you know, probably would hit at the end what would happen. Um, you know, I, I think that when it comes to, you know, stuff like this for Pat McAfee, um, you know, this is what happens when you go on ESPN, a very famous sports network, the sports leader of, um, of, you know, of, you know, the world that's on our streets every single day, and, you know, you are a part of this where you could say, do whatever you want, but if you say something that offends, uh, the network or, you know, gives them grief or anything, you know, what happens, happens, and Pat McAfee had to apologize, even if he was forced to do it, he had no choice but to apologize, so, you know, in this situation, I think, you know, Jimmy Kimmel took it a little bit too far, even though I get why, you know, he, you know, responded the way he did. At the same time, though, Aaron Rodgers was just joking around, and I think that in the, at the end of the day, all sides um, will leave this, you know, behind them and move forward. So, uh, but I would not be shocked if we get something like this again down the line, if Aaron or Jimmy said something that... Either one of them don't agree with or find offensive, so to speak. And in our last top story for tonight, uh, I'm pretty sure you guys, or most of you, have already uh, found out about the groundbreaking interview that took place on <clears throat> that took place on Shannon Sharp's Club Shay Shay. And you know, Cat Williams pretty much let the the cat out of the bag, so to speak, uh, no pun intended, and pretty much you know went off on a tirade talking about the secrets of Hollywood and spoke about certain, uh, you know, African-American celebrities who, and comedians who Cat has come across with and had, and had his differences with. And with more here, we have Impressive on YouTube and more information. And uh, without further ado, Impressive, take it away. Hello everybody, welcome to the Impressive Channel. Happy New Year. This new year, 2024, started off very messy. For one, Cat Williams went viral after doing an interview with Shannon Sharp on his show Club Shay Shay. And this happened around the same time that the Jeffrey Epstein transcripts were revealed. So <laughs> there's a lot of messy, messy, messy stuff going on, but I'm gonna first focus on Cat Williams because he just flamed a lot of his peers in the comedic world. He went in on Steve Harvey, Kevin Hart, Ricky Smalley, Faison Love, Cedric the Entertainer. I mean, the list goes on. He was talking about people selling their souls and their booty holes. I mean, he was just flaming everybody. 
Faison's never done his own tour in 30 years. Steve Harvey don't do stand-up no more. Cedric doesn't write. I'm sorry, he doesn't write. Ricky Smiley has been playing the same old black woman forever. Like, you can't get a young fan base with that. Why Earthquake not in movies? Because he's illiterate. He can't read. And they found that out when they gave him a show and put the cards in front of him. And um, the Chris Tucker that we got now is Epstein Island Chris Tucker. Oh, not Smokey. Oh, Lord. Michael Jackson called him Christmas. You ever met a man that gave you a little nickname like that? No. Mm-mm, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the number one job of somebody that sold their soul in Hollywood is? What? Is to act like it didn't happen. They canceled me for talking about Harvey Weinstein before the thing came out, but he offered to suck my pe in front of all my people at my agency. What am I supposed to do? He did all of that. I'm thinking I'm the only black person on the script. I get there, it's three other black guys on there. Woo. Huh. So you wonder what they did <laughs> I told him no. What y'all do? <laughs> <laughs> now, I've had to turn down $50 million four times. Four times. Just to protect my integrity and that virgin hole I was telling you about. <laughs> right. Because uh, P. Diddy be wanting to body. And you got to tell him no. Oh, you got to tell him no. I, I did. I did. So as you can hear, Cat Williams set the internet on fire with this interview. And a lot of comedians were not happy about it at all. <laughs> Kevin Hart obviously wasn't happy. For those who don't know, Kevin Hart and Cat Williams have had tension for years now. Cat has kind of put it out there that Kevin is basically an industry plant and he was basically ushered in to replace him because Cat wasn't willing to conform to everything that was happening in the industry and Kevin Hart was. He was willing to play the game. So Cat claimed that Kevin was a puppet and Kevin didn't like that at all. In fact, he lambasted him during his Breakfast Club interview a few years ago. My frustration with Cat Williams comes from you keep pointing at Hollywood. Hollywood this, the white man, this, this, and this. When do you take responsibility for your actions? You had the shot. Cat was in that position at one you point. You were the guy. Yeah. You were set up to be the star. You didn't show up to work. You f***ed off promo shoots. You f***ed off your promo f***ing uh, trips that they had set up for you. You became a risk to the studios, which is why the studios stopped f***ing with you. Why was he a risk? He chose drugs. Oh, okay. Take responsibility for what you chose and say, you know what? I gotta fix me and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna stand up for comedy. Mm -hmm. Kat did respond to some of what Kevin said here and he even doubled down on the idea that Kevin was an industry plant who was given a TV show and a movie out the gate without making any real waves in comedy. At least this is what Cat Williams feels. In 15 years in Hollywood, no one in Hollywood has a memory of going to a sold-out Kevin Hart show. There being a line for him ever getting a standing ovation at any well, comedy club. He already had his deals when he got here. Have we heard of a comedian that came to L.A. and in his first year in L.A. he had his own sitcom on network television and had his own movie called Soul Plane that he was leading? No, we've never heard of that before that person or since that person. What do you think a plant is he just did his documentary with chris rock where he shows you that his whole upbringing in comedy was on the east coast yes it was so how simultaneously was he here in los angeles doing the same thing
it did happen for a five-year period every single movie that Kevin Hart did was a movie that had been on my desk that all I had said was just can we take some of this step and fetch it out and then I can do it like it don't need to be overtly homosexual because I'm not homosexual right it doesn't need that right. to be funny right mm-hmm. and and me saying that and them going oh yeah no problem and then going to give it to this other guy and having him do it just like it was and acting like I'm a bad person because I keep standing on my standard. But Kevin told you he wasn't going to wear no dress until they offered him the dress, and then he put it on. And what did he say after he wore it? I made my own decision. Duh. But you didn't make it before they brought it up, did you? It's okay. All right. Now, Kevin Hart did respond, but he didn't go in like he did on The Breakfast Club. He just said, gotta get that anger about you, champ. It's honestly sad. In the meantime, please enjoy my movie trailer to my next film, Lift, which will be dropping on Netflix in eight days. There is a moment in the trailer where Gugu says they really love you. Now, I know she's talking about Cat. Mark your calendars, world. This one is special. Cat also went in on Cedric the Entertainer. He didn't like the fact that Cedric tried to act like he didn't steal one of his jokes from back in the day. And Cat said he gave Cedric a pass after he apologized and things were all good, but Cedric went on Club Shay Shay and he tried to downplay Cat again. And this is what made Cat upset. Well, you, I mean, you and Cat, I mean, Cat say you stole one of his jokes. Yeah, like, I mean, it was ridiculous. You know what I mean? It was like the idea of the joke that he was even talking about don't even match up with no timeline. Yeah, what this brother is talking about, it, that joke is over 30 years old, close to 37 years old. I did the Kings of Comedy in 1999. Probably have been doing that joke six, seven years before that. I don't even know if Cat was doing comedy then. Cedric told you when you asked him, did you steal Cat Williams' joke? Yeah. He said, it don't line up. Like, what doesn't line up? I This is a televised joke that Mark Curry helped me punch up and get to the level that it was. So he thought that I was just a no-name comedian and that he could take this joke and nobody would know. The issue was that I had already done this particular joke on BET's Comic View twice. 1998, I'm doing this joke. It's on Comic View. Cedric comes to the comedy store. He watches me in the audience. He comes backstage. He tells me what a great job I did and how much he loves the joke. Two years later, he's doing that as his last joke on the Kings of Comedy. And he's doing it verbatim. He's just changed my car into a spaceship. The truth don't need motivation. I'm just saying I can't let these dudes lie. Cedric's sitting here telling you why he ain't a movie star. He over here look like a walrus. You didn't say nothing. He can't even get his arms off his stomach sitting over here. Why I'm not a movie star. What? We found out he can't sing, can't dance, and doesn't write jokes. He did four comedy specials. They're so bad, Shannon. They're not available. on Netflix or Tubi. Yeah, he didn't stop there. He went in on Steve Harvey as well. 
Kat called out Steve for being jealous of Bernie Mac. If you don't know, Steve Harvey, D.L. Hughley, Cedric the Entertainer, and Bernie Mac were a part of one of the biggest comedy specials in history called The Kings of Comedy. And Bernie Mac was the funniest one on the booking. However, he did not close out the show. Steve Harvey closed it out. And Steve did admit that he was a bit threatened by Bernie Mac. And for years, there was some beef between them. Bernie felt like Steve was jealous and he was trying to sabotage his movie roles. In fact, Steve was trying to snatch his role from Ocean's Eleven and it created a lot of tension between the two of them. And Steve did go on Club Shay Shay and he tried to act like he didn't have an interest in being a movie star. He said that he never wanted it, but clearly he did because he was trying to compete with Bernie Mac for a movie role. And Kat called Steve out on it and he also called Steve out for stealing from another comedian named Mark Curry and allegedly lying about being homeless. <laughs> The same Steve that went to go watch Mark Curry do his whole sitcom and then stole everything Mark Curry had. Now Steve got a sitcom where he the principal and he wear a suit and he and then he gets this high top fade making all black men think he got the best lineup in the business. And it's a man unit. This the same Negro that hated on Bernie with this same thing. I didn't want to be a movie star. No, you couldn't be a movie star. There are 30,000 new scripts in Hollywood every year. Not one of them asks for a country bumpkin black dude that can't talk good over baby and look like Mr. Potato Head. There ain't none. You would have to have a range. This is like Steve Harvey telling people he used to be homeless. That's my story. That's not his story. Steve Harvey wasn't never homeless. When he, Mark Curry was touring with him 25 years ago, he was making $3,000 a show in cash and doing five shows a week. They, they just tell the stories. This, my, thanks to my wife, I'm where I am. You said that about the first wife. You forget that. You told us it was her. Then you went and married somebody else that think like a man. Do you consider yourself a king of comedy? Where the where the camera? No, move? they they consider that. Oh, that. Like like when after Bernie left, them same three guys I'm telling you about the kings. Yeah. Right. Because DL is the greatest. Yeah. There's, there's no DL slander gets tolerated. Um, but they came to me. I was supposed to be the fourth king. I got the offer. Then what happened? But I turned it down. Why? Because you shit on Bernie. And I know the truth. You think I'm gonna let you shit on Bernie and then come get me? I'm the next king? Fuck you. <laughs> Why? Because the whole time Bernie was here, you was acting like you was funnier than him. You stop it. That man was funnier than all of y'all. And y'all thought y'all had one over on him. You thought he was black and ugly and you were good looking and he couldn't make it because you did. And that ain't the way comedy worked. The king is the funniest. Imagine him coming to tell you another story where he got so big and it was Bernie and them's fault because they wanted to be movie stars. You called Ocean Eleven to get that this part. What do you mean you didn't want to be a movie star? So on the behalf of Bernie, I, I would have to say what I have to say. Cat Williams also went in on Ricky Smalley. Ricky also did an interview on Club Shay Shay and he said that he was supposed to play the character Money Mike in Friday After Next and Kat was supposed to play Santa Claus. However, at the last minute, they switched roles. But Kat is saying that that was a lie. It didn't happen like that. 
you were originally supposed to play Cat Williams' character. Yes. And Cat Williams was supposed to play my character. This man told you he had Cat Williams' role. He was gonna be Money Mike, Wait. and Cat Williams was gonna be was gonna be the Santa Claus. Now let's three quick points. Three. You mean in Hollywood they cast a five foot five black Santa Claus that weigh 145 pounds? That's your story. Your story is the Ricky Smiley that couldn't even do curse words because he had a Christian fan base. He was gonna play the pimp. Why you didn't ask him why has he played a woman in more movies than he's played a man? Him and Tyler Perry can't play a man to save their life. It is sad. He was just that bitter when we were shooting it. He told everybody, it should have been my role. What he told everybody was, Cat Williams, eh, eh, don't nobody know who he is? I'm on the radio. I'm with Steven Said. Everybody know me. That's what he told everybody that would listen to on the set. That's the truth of the matter. That's why I'm saying, that's why I can't let Ricky Smiley say he was supposed to play Money Mike. Because I wrote the words for Money Mike. I designed the hair for Money Mike. I collaborated with the wardrobe department and made outfits to make sure that no one in America would be wearing what Money Mike was wearing. And, you know, the, I'm going to stop it there. But you guys can go to Impressive's channel. That's E-M-P-E-R. E-M-P-R-E-S-S. I V E impressive channel to hear the rest of the video and everything else that, you know, cat Williams had to say, you know, he went off on, um, you know, he went off on, you know, people in Hollywood like Harvey Weinstein, Chris Tucker, Steve Harvey, Ricky Smiley, um, Cedric the entertainer, uh, you know, um, Martin Lawrence who wanted cat to wear a dress uh, Faye Jean Love, Tiffany Haddish, Michael Blackson, you know, uh, Jonathan Majors, Kim Kardashian, Ludacris, and many other people, uh, as many other people, other celebrities out there, and even some of the celebrities that he went after, that Kat went after in the interview uh, on Club Shay Shay, you know, some of them also responded too. So you guys want to listen to the rest of the video, they go to M. Press's channel, uh, the video titled Cat Williams Exposes Hollywood and Draz Comedians, Kevin Hart, Steve Harvey, Ricky Smiley, etc. And they respond. So if you guys want to hear some more, then go to that channel to hear more. Or go to Club Shay Shay for the full Unleashed interview of Club Shay Shay featuring Cat Williams. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I feel everyone has the right to tell their own story. And, you know, there is this old saying that um, two sides, well, what is it? Two, not two sides, but... Um, um, something about that where two sides result in the truth and one person's are telling the truth or what persons are lying and I think Cat Williams is very spot on he's been through a lot in his career and I don't think he's really lying about everything and it's kind of making me side eye some of these celebrities that he went off on especially those that I even liked growing up listening to listening or watching their products on TV or watching a comedy special online or DVD or whatever. Um, it's sad. It's unfortunate. I just hope that Cat Williams will be, uh, will be all right. I hope he holds up and I hope he, you know, stays safe and this man needs to be protected at all costs. So shout out to Cat Williams. Uh, continue to be you, sir, and always hold down the fort. And before we, um, you know, 
take a quick pause. Um, we want to give a shout out to a couple of people here on tonight's spotlight. Uh, for example, soap alum Jordi Velasuso and wife Caitlin are celebrating the birth of Lucy Noel, their third beautiful daughter. Uh, congratulations to the both of them. Um, you know, these two have been through so much these past couple of years, so much adversity, so much challenges in their way, and for them to have a uh, the daughter, uh, the birth of their third daughter, Lucy Noel, is a, truly a blessing in the sky. So, you know, congrats to them, and uh, me and Willie wish them all the very best. Also, uh, me and Willie want to wish the very best and congratulate Kelly Goss as Courtney of YNR, who is a mom again. She welcomed her second son, Ozzy, on January 4th, calling him exactly what we needed. So, um, congratulations goes out to, uh, again, uh, congratulations out to Kelly Goss of YNR, who played Courtney in the past, um, with her, with Kelly and her attorney husband, Justin Wilbers. And uh, we wish them all the very best. And let me see here. Ah, yes. Uh, also, me and Willie want to wish the very best for Martha Madison, who announced her exciting new venture. And, um, you know, Martha Madison has a new business venture called the Madison Collective, where she expressed her excitement to her followers, saying, quote, Today is a big day for me. The Madison Collective is a recruitment, a re, a recruitment uh, agency that focuses on current Acquiring talent for luxury and lifestyle hotel brands, destination resorts, independent and corporate restaurant groups, fine dining concepts, members-only clubs, and private households. So we want to wish the very best as well. Uh, she's been through a lot in the past couple of years, and we want to, um, <clears throat> you know, we hope that she has a great time and that she has a lot of fun doing this as well. So shout out to Martha Madison. And our last one here, let's get this up going. As you guys know, we had the Golden Globe Awards um, over the weekend, I believe on Sunday. And, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, there were a lot of winners that, you know, came out of that, came out of that one very successful. And out of all of them, we really want to congratulate uh, Jeremy Allen White, who won the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a TV Comedy or Musical. First time primetime Emmy winners, Judith Light and Jasmine Guy, on uh, their Emmy wins over the weekend for the Creative Emmys. Also, Margaret Robbie, who also, um, who also, um, you know, who won an award, I think, for the movie Barbie, in some category, and so uh, congratulations go out to her too, and uh, congrats goes out to everyone who won at the global, at the Golden Globe Awards uh, ceremony. Uh, we're sure that there's going to be more awards ceremony happening this year, um, and when they do, you guys will be the first one to hear the results and the winners coming from both myself or Willie, either on the weekend edition of our show or on a or on the spotlight show like we're doing right now. And with that, guys, we are going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we are going to uh, go into the daytime recap of spoilers for the four soap operas. Starting off, as always, with Joe Hospital and discussing the big return of You Know Who, who is back at Joe Hospital. So stay tuned, guys. Don't go anywhere.
We'll be right back. Money now earns 5% APY. 5% APY? That's new. Yep, that's how you business differently. Introduce myself, my name is Humpty, pronounced with the Humpty, yo ladies, oh how I like to pump thee, and all the rappers in the top ten, please allow me to pump thee, I'm stepping tall y'all, and just like Humpty Dumpty, you're gonna fall when the stereos pump me, I like to rhyme, I like my beats funky, I'm spunky, I like my oatmeal lumpy, I'm sick with this, straight gangster Mac, but sometimes I get ridiculous, I'll eat up all your crackers and your licorice, oh yo fat girl, come here, are you ticklish, yeah, I caught you. Fat. Look at me, I'm skinny. It never stopped me from getting busy. I'm a freak. I like the girls with the boom. I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom. I'm crazy. Allow me to amaze thee. They say I'm ugly, but it just don't faze me. I'm still getting in the girls' pants, and I even got my own dance. scenes here at Days of Our Lives, and I just want to say um, thank you so much to the cast, to the crew, to Days, everybody. It's been amazing. I can't believe it's been a year already, so thank you so much to the fans, 
it's just uh i'm always so uh full of gratitude so thank you stay tuned Welcome back to William Ninja Stream Podcast. Ninja Spotlight, my spotlight for tonight. And yes, guys, if you, if you already know, yes, Steve Burton is back at General Hospital. Uh, he has not returned yet. He will start taping at the end of you know, the month, according to him, on the podcast he does with uh, Bradford Anderson on the Daily uh, Drama. If you go to the Daily Drama channel on YouTube, also the Daily Drama website, you guys can... Uh, listen to that podcast, but yeah, Steve Burton is back at General Hospital, and it really is no surprise that he is back on the show, because I think we all knew when it was announced that Steve Burton was leaving due to the vaccine mandate and not taking the vaccine, you know, uh, you know, we knew that when it was, when it would get lifted, that it would eventually lead to Steve Burton's return, and you know, um, it didn't happen sooner, I mean, you know, <clears throat> didn't, it did happen sooner, but, you know, Seaburn went to days when, you know, they offered him uh, a, a role to play Harris Michaels, which he did from May of 20, I think, last year of, of 2023 or maybe year before to, to like, now. So, yeah, um, I'm glad Seaburn is back in General Hospital as Jason Morgan. I know some people are thrilled and excited and happy. Others are not, and that's understandable why. Uh, I just hope and pray that, you know, the writers don't mess up Jason's return or the last time he was on General Hospital because at the end of his tenure for GH in 2021 before the vaccine mandate, the character of Jason Morgan was in a flux, and at first it seemed like the show had nothing really planned for him, or they did at first, but then they, of course, changed gears from... Jay Sam to Jason and Brett to Charlie and it was just one thing after another where <clears throat> fans are not really happy with the character's direction. So I just hope that this time Chris and Dan know what they're doing and they have and that they have a plan moving forward with the character of Jason Morgan. Uh, but again, for C. Burn, he's going to be taping scenes at General Hospital, I think at the end of this month, heading into February, so we should be getting Jason Morgan I think at, at the end of February sweeps, heading into spring or summer. So stay tuned for that. Um, you know, and I have, to, I have to say, I give Chris and Dan a lot of credit for um, for GH so far this year. Yes, we've had the um, the reveal of the SEC secret, and 
the uh, reveal and the reactions I feel were very good. If there was one reaction I, I didn't like from, even though I understand his anger, I have to say it's Drew Kane played by Karen Madison when he said, if you were a man, I would hit you, but you're not. You know, uh, in the way that, you know, Drew was kind of in Nina's face and stuff, and Nina was not intimidated at all. Uh, but I felt that scene was very uncomfortable and, you know, the way he was, like, clenching his fists and stuff. And, you know, Karen Madison, he's a very good actor, but sometimes he has issues, you know, portraying that anger and trying a little bit too hard, which I felt he did. And so that scene was a little bit uncomfortable for me. I understand where the writers were going, uh, but I do feel that it was very uncomfortable. And it did, and I can get what others were uncomfortable about it on social media and Twitter and other places too, because it was very uh, uncomfortable. And, you know, Drew did not attack Nina or anything. He was just angry, upset, and I don't blame him. But it was just the way that, you know, Drew got up in Nina's face and the way he said it, it was just uncomfortable for me. So hopefully Joe Hospital can be very careful and not try to, uh, overdo it too much because if you do then you know you're going to alienate and lose a lot of viewers so uh of course carly is upset and pissed off at nina you know michael and willow are on the outs right now sunny attacked cyrus at the church and got arrested he was released on today's episode at general hospital and to top it all off carly found out the news about bobby's bobby spencer's death and carly took it hard of course um and so this week we're going to get, you know, uh, the funeral of Bobby Spencer for tomorrow and I think Thursday. And after Thursday is when Carly and Felicia go on this mini adventure to Amsterdam to settle, uh, you know, Bobby's affairs. So, you know, um, it should be a, a great one, even though I do feel that, you know, the show should be using more flashbacks when it comes to talking about Bobby and everything else. And it's just so ironic how... This show can spend so much on a llama, animals, you name it, but you can't bring back the flashbacks for to to celebrate the character of Bobby Spencer, played by the late great Jackie Zeman. I just find that funny and ironic. Um, but you know, it should be a pretty good uh, show show this week for General Hospital, especially uh, you know Wednesday and Thursday when the when poor Charles mourns the loss of Bobby Spencer. So with that, guys, let's get into uh, the spoilers for uh, General Hospital for the rest of this week. So tomorrow on General Hospital, the 10th of January, 2024, the town of Port Charles mourns the loss of their beloved friend, Bobby Spencer. Felicia and Carly come together to honor Bobby. Carly is forced to reckon with her family's past and close to her unfinished business. The 11th, Thursday. Carly and Felicia traveled to Amsterdam to attend to the business Bobby left. Max and reporters sit down with the people of Port Charles to share uh, their memories of Bobby. Carly dedicates a lovely tribute to her mother. Okay, and then the 12th of January, 2024, Friday, Nicholas shares a moment with Ava. Spencer receives a surprise visitor. Curtis encourages Trina. Dex shows a brave side, and Diane and Robert have a disagreement. And uh, shout out to Adam Haas, who is back in General Hospital as Nicholas Cassidy. He's doing a great job playing the role. And uh, me and Willie both feel that he's done you know, great job so far. 
I am interested to see where it leads to between him and Ava. Hopefully not another... Not, not a second round between Ava and Nicholas. Uh, you know, Laura and and uh, taking Esmond to the PCPD. Um, you know, I think Ava tricked Laura and Esme to where Esme signed something over. And in the end, Esme got arrested. So, looks like Esme is going to pay for crimes. So, we'll see what happens next with that one. Let's see if there's anything else I want to cover for General Hospital. Uh, no, that seems, to be a, that seems to be about it for uh, General Hospital. So, with that, guys, let's take another quick pause. When we come back, we're going to get into The Young and the Restless. So, with that, guys, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Want to know why no one else pizzas the hut? Pizza Hut's buy pizza, get free pizza. On January 10th only, buy a large pizza, get a free large one topping pizza. That's enough to feed you and the crew. That's why no one out pizzas the hut. Hey, it's me, your dry skin. I'm craving something we're missing. The ceramides in CeraVe. CeraVe with three essential ceramides helps restore my natural barrier so I can lock in moisture and we can feel it long after. CeraVe moisturizers. Welcome back to Nathan Woods Extreme Podcast, Nathan Spotlight, my spotlight. And we are now in Genesee for the under Russell's for this week so far. And yes, guys, you heard it there from that sneak peek or the preview for this week of YNR. Yes, Ashley and Cole will be catching up with one another. And I'm kind of sensing something, uh, I'm kind of sensing some chemistry between both Aline and Eddie J. Peck, who plays uh, Ashley and Cole on the show. So, and don't forget, guys, they were together at one point during the, um, I think during the late 90s or somewhere during that time. So, you know, whatever, if they do, the show uh, wants to go for it, Cole and Ashley, I would be all for it. 
I just hope that they do it right. And maybe Cole can be the one who can help Ashley through her uh, turmoil right now between her and Tucker because it's not getting any prettier between the two of them as well. And uh, on today's episode of YNR, we've had the uh, we've had Tuck, Ashley standing her ground with Tucker and Victor questioning Nikki's sobriety. So obviously, you know, um, it's obvious that Nikki cannot seem to hold it in any longer. And uh, you know, I think Victor is going to take dresses measures to take to protect Nikki if something bad happens to her. Um, and so if you can tell with the, uh, the clip of the, uh, preview, you know, Lauren tried to, I think, do her best to help her out, but, you know, um, you know, uh, Victor, I think is still suspicious of Nikki. So there you go. Also on Monday, January 8th, yesterday, we had the debut of Brian Gaskill who debuted as Seth. A man Nikki encounters at the AA meeting. And it's not an encounter. Seth is Nikki's AA sponsor and has been for a while, but the viewers and Victor had never seen him before. Uh, the episode that he was on aired on Friday, January 5th in Canada. Also, we have uh, Claire asking Victoria and Cole to arrange for the visit Jordan at the jail uh, prison. And so I think... Uh, with this happening, uh, you know, uh, there's going to be a sit-down meeting so that Jordan can explain herself to Claire, uh, you know, and it's all about laying out all the facts and getting answers. So that should be a very good scene between both Claire and Jordan, uh, you know, with both Haley Aaron and Colin Zenk, you know, uh, going at it acting-wise one-on-one. So with that, let's go to the spoilers for the rest of the week for YNR, unless I miss anything. Uh, no, so let's get to the spoilers. So tomorrow, Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, Victor challenges Nick and Adam. Claire is haunted by mem- memories of Jordan. And Jack shares words of wisdom with Ashley. Thursday, January 11th, 2024, Victor receives a surprising request from Victoria. Lauren's loyalty is tested. Sparks fly between Adam and Sally. And Friday, January 12, 2024, Victor vows to protect Nikki at all costs. Ashley confronts Audra, and Clara sells unfinished business with Jordan. So you guys know, like I said, mentioned before, um, Clara's going to, uh, you know, have the one-on-one conversation with Jordan at the prison, and you know, looks as if, you know, something might happen to where Jordan may convince Claire to you know work with her to get back at the newmans and victoria and cole and if that happens it wouldn't surprise me because i think claire still has some resentment between her and victoria and cole mostly victoria uh but we'll see what happens with that and let's see here okay and with that guys let's take a, another quick pause when we come back we're going to get into YNR's sister uh, soap opera on CBS Daytime, The Bold and the Beautiful. So with that, guys, stay tuned. We will be right back.
can get a little messy. Good thing there's resolve. Love the love, resolve the mess. to Linux Extreme Podcast in the Spotlight, my spotlight for tonight, and now we're in Los Angeles for The Bold and the Beautiful. Um, you know, despite the, um, you know, nonsense with this current storyline of so-called angst between Steffi, Finn, Thomas, Hope, Xander, uh, and Liam, even though he should be a part of this, um, you know, uh, you know, I do think that there are some positives when it comes to the other storylines that are taking place. Well, there are storylines for Bold and Beautiful when it comes to Zenday, RJ, and Luna. And you can tell that from Monday's episode, you know, things got tense between Zenday and, and RJ when they had an argument about RJ's job before the creations when it escalated. And I cannot, I cannot blame Zenday for how he feels. I mean, yes, he has a right to be upset and angry. Uh, at Ridge and RJ, but I think overall he has the right to be upset and angry at Eric for shoving Zenday aside and not giving him the job that, you know, Zenday deserves from the title that he deserves. So, you know, I can see Zenday getting revenge and not um, <clears throat> not caring about it, even if he wants to steal Luna from RJ, which I think is very possible that could happen, and the man is very persistent, and I can't say blame Zenday, but to me, the person at fault for all of this started with Eric when it, uh, when we found out that Eric was not uh, well and it was sick. So, um, but I am interested in the storyline, and I'll take that over the pointless angst going on right now between um, Sin and Thulp, uh, because this is not really angst. This is not drama or anything else. It's not any of it. Uh, it's just... Um, you know, uh, dr- plot, drivel, plot point writing, and I don't think it will ever change. I mean, and the character of Finn is really getting, uh, you know, thrown on the bus once again. I mean, there was the whole thing with him having his back turned while Kelly ran into the water and nearly drowned, and now this happens. And it just feels like, you know, the writers are, Bradley Bell, most of all, is trying to you know, trying to create something out of thin air that shouldn't really be happening. I mean, yes, Finn, I think, is worried concerned about the safety of his family and Steffi, but for him to be concerned about hope, that makes no sense to me at all. So uh, count me out of that storyline. But with that, guys, let's get into the rest of sports for this week for B&B. 
And uh, after that, we're going to talk about something else that really ticked me off and really ticked Willie off too. So let's get right into this. For tomorrow, Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, RJ flips and Luna reveals Zenday's support to get a long time with her. Steffi is stunned that Xander is not easy on his accusations against Thomas. Thursday, January 11th, 2024, Finn pressures Steffi to point blank ask Thomas about Emma's death. Liam is shot to learn of Thomas' proposal to Hope. Friday, January 12, 2024, Thomas has a heart-to-heart with Steffi about what happened the night Emma died, and I heard that this week Finn and Richard are going to have a showdown when it comes to uh, Thomas, and, you know, I think this is going to end up badly for Finn, even though I can see Finn standing his ground to Ridge and telling him about how dangerous his son is, but, you know, Thomas has not done anything, and even though at some point, if... If this does lead to Tom getting thrown on the bus, then it's going to prove Finn and others right. But, again, it's saying that it's very a point storyline. And this is not anywhere uh, near to angst for Finn and Steffi and Thomas and Hope, if you ask me. Uh, casting notes, Monday, January 8th, Rami Park returns as Poppy no- Nozawa. Samantha uh, Kutrin portrays Nurse Rachel. Monday, January 8th and Tuesday 9th, Aiden Bradley will be back as Alexander Avant. Wednesday, January 10th, Gabriella uh, Trenchina portrays Nurse Tina. Thursday, January 11th, Naomi Mastruda returns as Dr. Lee Finnegan. And speaking of uh, Poppy, Bill, Lee, and Luna, I am liking you know what's going on between both uh, Poppy and Bill. It looks as if the two of them are going to hook up and get together. But I think Lee is going to have is going to have, is going to have to excuse uh, me say something about that. So, um, I'm, I'm expecting a triangle between the three of them, but, uh, I think we all know that Luna is going to be Bill's daughter, so, you know, uh, I don't think it's needed, but again, you know, I think originally it was supposed to be Jack, uh, Finnegan, Finn's, uh, father, and so, uh, I think they decided to change gears and go to someone else, but again, I don't think it's needed to have Luna as Bill's, uh, biological father. Now, Let's get into this one here for the Bowen Beautiful. If you guys remember, uh, Tracy Melchor, uh, Tracy Melchor, how you ever say his na- her name, she played Kirsten uh, Forster back in the old days when B&B first started, and she pretty much addressed uh, Kirsten Forster's MIA status, and she had a lot to get off her chest, and me and Willie can't blame her for feeling this way, but... Um, it says here from soapup.com, BNB alum Tracy Melchior addresses Kirsten Forster's MIA status. The BNB alum isn't thrilled with what's happening with Kirsten Forster Dominguez by Garibaldo four weeks ago. Uh, it's not just the fans that have strong opinions. Tracy Melchior, the actress who was played Kirsten Forster Dominguez on Bowen Beautiful and On and Off since 2001, recently took to social media to vent frustrations at the social directions. <clears throat> Among the plethora of comments made in response to and supervising producer Casey uh, Kasparin's Instagram post, which featured a, video, a promo video depicting Ridge exercising his right to Eric's medical proxy, was a series of remarks by Meltrier. First, he took to exception to her alter ego's brother, being the one who gets all the say-so, arguing that, quote, I think all of his siblings should be discussing, in response to James Lott Jr.'s assertion that she shouldn't be there, Meltrier wrote. 
They're making my character look awful, not there for my son ever, now not there for my dad. And, the, and it's for the on-screen explanation that Kirsten couldn't attend Eric's family, so, uh, so rare, because she's joined siblings Felicia and Rick, also conspicuous by their absence, is on safari, much higher opinion, yeah. It is so lame and funny, not agreeing with how they're writing Kirsten. She had a very good relationship with her dad and would be there. She had a couple relationship with her mom. Stephanie came back for her. Mel Charles passionate defense of her character and, and the crying Chris's absence is most understandable. Not only has Kirsten long been written as the apple of her day's eye, but there exists a very real possibility that this is McCook's swan song. Though it appears that Dynamo, Dynamo Dr. Finn Finnegan, Tanner Navon, might have the cure for what ails Eric, nothing is granted in the wacky, wonderful world of soap operas. And again, this just goes back to the lack of respect that Bradley Bell has for actors and actresses who have been on B&B since the days that, you know, first started with under William J. Bell, his father made God rest his soul. And now it just feels like, you know, um, it just feels like, um, it just feels like, you know, Bradley Bell uh, has forgotten, you know, what the show used to mean when it first started. And I can understand, you know, certain actors and actresses have schedule conflicts and stuff and are projects in the, in the making and stuff. But it sounds as if Tracy uh, was, wasn't even invited or asked to come back to the show for that storyline. And we all know how the storyline ended with Eric surviving in the end. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, I, me and Willie, we can't blame her for how she feels. It's just despicable, disgusting. And it just goes back to what Ron Moss talked about a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago, but recently, uh, I think at an event where he was asked why he left the show. Basically, it comes down to the politics of the show, the decoration of the show, and so many other things that took place to where, um, you know, Ron Moss pretty much said... I'm out, and we can really tell uh, the favorites of the show and who gets, uh, you know, who gets, uh, you know, more, more of the uh, the limelight, so to speak, the spotlight when it comes to Bradley Bell's favorites. It's disgusting, despicable, but again, what do you expect? And with that, guys, we are going to uh, with that guys, I think we covered everything for B&B on that front. So check here. Very quickly. Yeah, I think we covered everything for Bold and Beautiful. So with that, guys, we're going to take a quick uh, or, or quicker brief pause. When we come back, we're going to get into Days of Our Lives and, um, and what's going on in the town of Salem. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be right back.
Popeye's new sweet and spicy wings are perfectly sweet and wonderfully spicy. Just like my Nana. These are delicious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's why I know you didn't make them. <laughs> we don't make sense. We make chicken. Love that chicken from Popeye's. My heart aches for my precious granddaughter. The tragedy. Nicole may now lose her surviving child to a drug overdose. My son's in a jail cell. He's going to be tried as an adult. That makes tempers flare. No. How dare you talk about my daughter like that? Tensions rise. Are the demeras involved in this? How would you like to get Lucas out of prison? If he gets caught, he could die. And it's family against family. I swear on the soul of my grandfather. I swear on the soul of my father. And welcome back to Linens of Stream Podcasting Spotlight, my spotlight. And tonight, uh, now we are heading to um, Salem for Days of Our Lives. And I have to say, I have been enjoying uh, what the Scab Riders have been, you know, using on, um, or the, uh, you know, I've been enjoying uh, the writing so far, thanks to the Scab Riders. And you can tell that there is a direct and clear difference between Scab Riders and Ron Carvalho's writing where, you know, we get to see the interactions and the histories between, you know, both the Demera families, the Black families, the Brave families, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, obviously it's clear as day that um, with what's happening right now between Tate, Holly, and this whole thing with the uh, drug storyline, Obviously, you know, Tate's going to go through uh, a lot of, um, he's going to go through a lot, but I think eventually, uh, at the end of the day, when Holly wakes up, she's going to clear Tate's name or something else is going to happen that will clear Tate in the long run. I can see this lasting until February sweeps, um, but, you know, I, I do I do like um, where the storyline is going, um, and I'm glad that Days Are Lives finally remember that, you know, Maggie is Holly's, you know, granddaughter, her grandchild, and so she's going to be there uh, as well this week for Nicole and uh, EJ and Eric for Holly, and so um, that should be great too. Uh, also, we have the ongoing uh, storyline between Constantine, Steve, and John, where that goes. I'm liking that as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's it for Days are alive, so let's get to the rest of sports for this week and teasers for next week. So, starting tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, Brady and Teresa are shocked when they see Tate. Adrian comes to Cole's aid and comforts her after spending time with Holly. Abe enjoys spending quality time with Paulina. Ever tries to extract, extract information from Harris for a new story. Stephanie and Jenna have a catch-up session. Thursday, January 11th, 2024, Trace and Britt are angry that Tate was hurt. Alex fires Justin. Chad and Everett prepare for an interview with Paulina about the MLK celebration. Harris seeks help from Kate and Roman. Friday, January 12, 2024. Kate brings Harris to see Lucas in prison. Trace and Britt struggle to find a way to help Tate. Alex opens up to Chad. Eric checks in with Holly to the hospital. 
and Nicole and Adrian argue about a relationship with Eric. Then we have teasers for, or teasers and spoilers for the week of January 15th, so let's get into that. These are from BuzzworthyRadioCast.com. The town of Sam gathers together to celebrate Martin Luther King Day. Teresa and Bray are given good news about Tate. Alex issues an apology to Justin. John and Lena are invited to dinner by Eric and Sloan. Johnny wants to, to marry Chanel again. EJ, Maggie, Eric, and Nicole see their photos to Holly as she heads off for treatment. Then the, the spoilers on Soap Hub. Monday, January 15, 2024. Chanel, Johnny, Jada, and Rave confront some difficult issues head on. Tuesday, January 16, 2024. Harris conducts, uh, Harris conducts a raid at the best stores Ava and Stefan Scramble. Wednesday, January 17, 2024. Kayla and Steve host a family dinner with Tripp, Wendy, and Stephanie. Thursday, uh, Thursday, January 18, 2024, Brady and Alex reinforces to find Trace, who has gone missing. And Friday, January 19, 2024, Holly is prepped to travel for treatment, and Nicole, Eric, and Maggie say their goodbyes. And before we get to our uh, last uh, final commercial, uh, our final pause, uh, you know, commercial break, heading to the movie review for Ferrari, I wanted to share uh, this uh, important message uh, when it comes to the Bold and Beautiful. I forgot to uh, mention this when I'm talking about B&B, but this is from SoapOperaNews.net and it says here, The Bold and Beautiful shares an important message posted January 9th, 2024 on Tuesday this evening. Today, excuse me. The Bold and Beautiful has put out an important message after news report of a Massachusetts woman being faced with an attempted murder charge. There are claims that she tried to kill her husband with tan soup at the urging of a person claiming to be a soap star from the Bold and Beautiful. In light of this, the official B&B X account wrote, quote, Dear at B&B underscore CBS fans, A general reminder that our cast, crew, and staff will never solicit your personal, person, uh, personal for money or anything else. If you are being contacted by someone portraying themselves as a cast member, please report them immediately to X and or to local authorities. We appreciate our fans very much, and thank you for watching. According to reports, a woman from Townsend, Massachusetts, facing an attempted murder charge after investigators claimed that she tr- tried to kill her husband due to a person claiming to be a soap opera star, urging her to do so. The investigation began on December 3rd when a woman contacted police with concerns her mother may have poisoned her father, who was currently hospitalized. And with that, guys, we're going to take one last uh, commercial break. Or one could pause, excuse me. When we come back, we're going to get into the movie review of Ferrari. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be right back. Sponsor of the college football playoff. 
into one of my carves, you get in the wind. And welcome back to Winners Extreme Podcast in Spotlight, my spotlight. And to end the show off, we're going to have our official movie review of Ferrari, the 2023 film, uh, biographical sports drama film directed by Michael Mann and written by Troy Kenny Martin, based on the 91 biography of Enzo Ferrari, the man, the cars, the races, the machine, memorial sports journalist Brock Yates. The film follows the personal and professional struggles of Enzo Ferrari, the Italian founder of the car manufactured Ferrari SPA during the summer of 1957. Adam Driver portrays the titular subject in Palermo Cruz, Julian Woodley, Sarah Gabriel Leon, Jack O'Connell, and Patrick Dempsey co-star. And this was, um, my opinion, a very good movie. You know, when it comes to uh, this movie, we find out more about uh, Enzo Ferrari and what... Um, and, you know, his, um, you know, and what he's all about as a businessman and entrepreneur when it comes to preparing the racing team for, you know, event, uh, you know, for event internationally around the world. Um, you know, the cast and crew, I thought, did a wonderful job in this one. Adam Driver portrayed the role, you know, uh, you know, perfectionally very well. Also, shout out to Shanaley Woodley as Linda Lardy. I thought she did a great job in this one too. Uh, I, you know, the chemistry between both her and Laura, you know, uh, between the uh, chemistry between Adam Driver and Shanaley Woodley, I thought was on par in in this movie, and uh, it was off the charts amazing. Um, you know, I think that this movie should be seen by everyone. If you haven't seen it yet, guys. You will not regret it at all. Um, and I'm going to give this one five popcorns out of five. I thought the movie was very good, uh, very well done. Um, you know, and when it comes to biographicals, uh, not biographicals, but biopics, excuse me, um, you know, you know, sometimes it can be either good or bad or the information or the history doesn't match it right. Uh, but, you know, I think... When it comes to the critical responses, you know, there are those who love, you know, Adam Driver's performance, um, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I do think that, you know, Adam Driver is a very good actor. He deserves a lot of praise for what he, uh, you know, for what he hasn't gotten in the past. He's an underrated actor at the same time because he's been a part of other shows on HBO like Girls Goes Girls and other things as well. Also, um, let me see here. Um, also, Willie, the Grizzly here, here's a uh, soundbite from him. All right, good luck. Patrick Dempsey did a great job. Ooh, this movie has such an ensemble cast. Go watch it everywhere in theaters. You'll definitely want to reserve this for your digital collection. And yes, I agree with William there. You guys should you guys should check out this movie if you haven't. 
a reserves for digital, digital collection. And uh, I give Ferrari five popcorns out of five. Tremendous movie. Very well done. And uh, shout out to Adam Driver and the rest of the cast and crew. The director of the film, Michael Mann, and written by Troy Candy Martin. And with that, guys, it does it for us here on the podcast this evening. Uh, don't forget to check us out this weekend for a weekend edition of the podcast where me and Willie, um, we're going to go into uh, something uh, that we found out when it comes to a certain actor who was let go from one of the soap operas uh, a couple of years ago during the uh, uh, you know the COVID and uh, vaccine mandate. And no, it was not Steve Burns General Hospital. It was the other actor on GH, Inger Rademacher, and we found something about him that really has us disappointed in General Hospital and ABC as a whole, and uh, we support Inga Rademacher, and when we talk about it on Saturday, uh, you guys will find out, or on Friday, depending on when we're available for it, but with that, guys, it does it for us on tonight's Spotlight. My name is Nathan Banks. You guys want to find me on Twitter, you guys go to Nathan Banks, uh, wait, no, at MoneyMac101, again, it's at, at MoneyMac101, uh, at the symbol, capital M-O-N-Y-M-A-C-101, Nathan Banks line, the symbol line, Jason Forever, capital J-A-S-A-M, number four, E-V-R. And if you guys want to reach out to Willie, you guys can go on Twitter to, to reach out to Willie, at Willie's UPW, again, it's at Willie's UPW, Willis You Podcast. And uh, that's going to do it for us tonight here on the podcast, guys. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, to all of our listeners, viewers, keep spreading the word about our podcast. And I look forward to seeing all of you again this upcoming weekend for our weekend edition show with Willie Views himself. Also, next Tuesday for Nathan Spotlight, my spotlight. So, with that, guys, we'll see you guys later. And uh, I am out. Enjoy the rest of your uh, night, evening, day, morning, afternoon, wherever and wherever listening to this podcast from. Take care, guys, and I am out. Peace.
Just me and my body. 